I grew up in a relatively uh, small town compared to Dallas anyway, and in the town I grew up in, all the kids my age played baseball when I was a little one. And I remember the first season went okay that I played. The second season was trouble because where I grew up, we were real, real people, and they didn't do any of this t-ball stuff. I mean, we went straight. I think they did coach pitch the first year, and then second year you were on. And, uh, and it was, uh, there were a lot of life lessons there because I think the pitcher we had was the coach's son who had no business pitching, but then no one had any business pitching at that age. And after about the sixth ball that I took getting hit somewhere, I went to my parents and said, you know, I, I, this isn't for me. I think I want to quit. And my parents gave me this talk that I think many of you maybe had as kids, but they, they said to me, we're Johnstons and we don't quit. We don't quit. And, you know, I, I know my parents were trying to teach me a very valuable lesson about persistence, about hanging in there and keeping, keep going. And I made it through the end of that, that particular season, and that was it. But they were trying to teach me something important. And today, I actually want to talk about persistence. And I want to talk about it ultimately and primarily in the context of faith, But as we turn and start talking about how persistence matters with our faith, I want to first say something about how we encounter persistence in our everyday lives and how we live things out. And you just stop and think about um, how important it is. We know this, but just listen to a, a few quotes. Benjamin Franklin said, energy and persistence conquer all things. Thomas Edison said, the three great essentials to achieve anything worthwhile are first, hard work, second, stick to itness." And third, common sense. Someone else has said, if you do not have persistence, then no amount of education, talent, or genius can make up for it. But persistence is something that is important in achievement. And if you go look at basically any kind of industry, any place you look, the people who will rise to the top or are known as the successful people are the people who have an extra big dose of persistence. I mean, you can think about this through history in all kinds of ways. You can think about um, Abraham Lincoln. You can think about Martin Luther King Jr. You can think about Steve Jobs. Like, there are lots of different ways you can look at examples of this. I'll, get, I'll go back to this example of, for a second, of Abraham Lincoln, of thinking about him for a moment. I mean, we know his story, right? And we think about the impact he's had on our country. But when you look at the amount of stuff he went through, it's just it's stunning. Just listen to it for a minute. He failed in a business at age 21. He was defeated in a legislative race at age 22. He failed again at business at age 24. He overcame the death of the woman he was courting at age 26. He basically had a nervous breakdown at age 27. He lost a congressional race at 34 and 36. He lost a senatorial race at 45. And he failed when, when it was otherwise expected to become vice president at 47. Lost a senatorial race at 49 and ultimately became president at age 52. I mean, talk persistence. And imagine the difference that he made on our country and what it would be if he had not been persistent. And in researching for this sermon uh, this week, I came across one study that was fascinating to me, and this is my back-to-school moment for the week. It was a study done, um, I guess, for years. Japanese students in Japan and American students have been uh, different in their math scores. The Japanese have been higher. This particular study done a number of years ago was, was not really trying to gauge where they were. 
they did this study where they did first graders and they gave them a really difficult puzzle to solve. And what they were really measuring in this was how long would the students try to solve it? And um, it was interesting because the American students, they only lasted about nine and a half minutes trying to solve it. Whereas the Japanese students basically went to 14 minutes before they gave up on it. And the, one of the conclusions by the authors of this study was that their math scores and these different things may not be a reflection of IQ or even training on math. It may just be how cultures have trained people for persistence, that they're willing to try longer and harder. I hope my kids are listening to this sermon. Um, but that's the, our back to school moment for the day. But persistence matters in what we do on, on achievement and these things. And one of the things that my parents apparently thought, and many of us think, is that this is something that can be taught, that persistence can be taught. And I want to pivot today now and talk about what does this mean in the context of faith? Can we learn to be more persistent with our faith? What does persistence mean in the context of our faith? Does it matter in the context of our faith? And as we do that, I want to turn to the gospel lesson that Chris read a moment ago and kind of walk through it thinking about this concept of persistence today. And the very first place as we start looking at this passage um, in verse 21 is to, is to kind of get a little bit of context. So Jesus is like there's a sweep of things where he's headed towards this, his end and this hard, difficult times. And before that, he wants to prepare. And he's looking for a place where he can pull away, do some teaching with his disciples, do whatever he needs to do to get ready for this moment. And he's become so famous, so popular um, in all the Jewish lands that he needs to get out of there. So this is like the one place and moment where we get that he's going to leave the Jewish territories. And he, he goes up in, in the Phoenician areas. He goes up north and west of Galilee, and he heads into to that area. And that's where he wants to try to get away. And it's a strange area for him to go to in a way because there's a lot of animosity between the people there and between Jews. Like that, like the Jewish historian Josephus says, among the list of our worst enemies, these are them. This is the place where, where it's that way. And you think too about Jesus in Matthew 11, where he's, where he's talking about, he's done all these miracles. There's all these cities where he's done all these things and the people haven't repented. And kind of Jesus goes off for a minute. Like he starts talking about all these cities saying, man, woe to you. Woe to you at all this. And, and, he's, and he gets to this point where he wants to, he wants to make, drive it home. And he says like, listen, even the people of Tyre and Sidon, even those people would have repented by now. And you're not. And it'd be better to be one of them than to be you on judgment day. Like, so that's the kind of example he's giving. This is a place that's known for being these pagans and being these, having these idols and all these different practices that they do. And that's where today's event is taking place. That's where Jesus is, right? And then we get things starting. That's where he is. We get this Canaanite woman that's approaching him. And again, just a moment of context because we need it. The Canaanites were, would have been like one of the top despised groups of people in the Old Testament. So that's, this woman has that ancestry. And then she's a woman. And so rabbis, this would have been a really difficult moment to have a woman coming and approaching and asking for something and expecting a rabbi to engage her in all this. So she's got these two things going. And then she walks up. And then what she says, though, when she walks up, 
And she, she says, you know, son of David, Lord. She's acknowledging sort of the right of, of the throne of David. And she says that. She's expressing that she knows something about the Jewish faith. And she goes into all this and she, she approaches Jesus. And then she asks what she's really there for. We, my daughter is extremely sick. Will you heal her? And Jesus, you get, to, you get to the next passage where you get what Jesus' res, response back to her is. He basically, some of the commentators will say it this strongly, but he basically snubs her. He's completely silent. And Matthew's not trying to hide this. Nobody's trying to hide this. Jesus, silence, snubs her, silence. And on top of that, his disciples, I think, are embarrassed or whatever they are. They're like trying to get her away. They're, t- they're finally telling Jesus, well, don't just be silent. Tell her to go. Tell her to get out of here. Tell her to stop bothering us. Stop saying things. And, um, and I just pause there for a second. She's overcome these difficult background things where she knows it's going to be a challenge. She's a Canaanite. She's a woman approaching a rabbi. And she approaches Jesus and makes this request, and he, he's silent to her. How many people would have just packed it up right then and said, you know, okay, I tried. It's enough. But that's not what she does, right? She, she keeps going, right? And um, Jesus at this moment then turns to her and says, and speaks, and he says, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I wonder at this moment why we know from Jesus' teaching elsewhere that he's come for the whole world. God so loved the world. We get lots of different places in Jesus' teaching directly also where it's clear he's come for the whole world. But this moment, he's telling her, I've come for the house of Israel. Is it an order thing? Like he's going to progress this mission in a certain order? Or some would say, even going back to the early church, that this is a test. And what he, he's really at this moment is adopting the theology of the, of the disciples and giving it straight out the way they see it and putting it to her that way. But notice he doesn't send her away. So again, stop for a moment. We just keep going deeper in this thing. She doesn't give up. She's got this background, doesn't stop her. She gets snubbed, doesn't stop her. Now what she's hearing from Jesus is you're an outsider, doesn't stop her. The next thing we get as this thing unfolds is how she, that moment, kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. But she's basically worshiping him at this moment. And I imagine that Jesus' disciples are all sitting there watching super intently about how, what he's going to do in this situation. And Jesus goes on from there in the next verse and says, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's not really right that this bread I have for the children is going to, would get thrown to the dogs. And it's like a super hard passage right there. Like there's a whole sermon right there that I'm going to keep gladly walking right by. But I'll say t- two things about what he says, like about this dog thing. First of all, don't think dogs like we have today, right? Don't think that, you know, like Christians don't believe in incarnation, but if they did, I'd want to come back as my dog because he's got it made, like gets pampered on all the time and all this. Don't picture those kinds of things. They were like the scavengers in the street. They were like disease-ridden, running around, going through the trash, 
kind of animals that were around. They weren't like the pets like we think of today. That's the first thing to know as he says that. But the second thing is, I'm not a Greek scholar, but reading what the Greek scholars say, apparently the word Jesus chooses for dog here is kind of like him saying um, little doggy. It's kind of like a little playful word, little, little, little doggy. And so at this moment, Jesus has fully adopted their, the disciples' theology, and he said it out loud, what it is. And I just got to keep coming back to this woman. Like, she is like, she just keeps going. And we can stop and ponder what gave her so much persistence. Is it because she she's, knows that Jesus is not only a person of power, but she gets some sense that he is the Messiah, that he can do these things. She's heard the stories. Is it because of the great love that she has for her daughter? This is the only hope that she can imagine. She just keeps going. The conditions that she starts with, being snubbed, being told she's an outsider, then being told that, you know, like, no, it's not even right that this would go to your kind of folks. Whatever it is, she just keeps going. And her... Next response uh, back is to then say, yeah, but you know what? Even the crumbs fall from the master's table. And again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the, and I'm not going to translate this right, but just to give you a sense of the playfulness, she comes back with some wit because the word she uses for crumb is like she's kind of answering back saying like, like even the little crummies fall from the table. Like she's, she's coming back to him in the same kind of playful, witty kind of way that he'd use that word. And then Jesus has this great, um, he, I mean, this moment, he, like, this is where the penny drops, and he, he's going all the way and saying it. He answers, he says, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed. She got her desire, the thing that she really was praying for, the thing that she was wanting. And not only that, but Jesus takes this moment as his disciples are watching every second of this, and basically says, look at her mega faith. Like there aren't many places in scripture that talk about somebody having a great faith. And Jesus in this foreign land with this Canaanite woman is pointing her out and saying, look at her. Look at her amazing great faith. She persisted, 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 persisted. And she got this thing and Jesus holds her up as this incredible example of faith. It's a big moment. The commentator William Barclay says this about the passage. He says, the supreme significance of this passage is that it foreshadows the going out of the gospel to the whole world, to the Gentiles. It shows us the beginning of the end of all barriers. And it does all that, and it's amazing for that. But I also want to say this passage teaches us about persistence. This woman teaches us persistence. She just keeps going and going and going against all these different things, you know, that we've talked about. All of them just keeps going. And Scripture is full of different passages that we could hold up that show the same thing. I might mention just a few of these, right? I mean, you go back to Genesis 32, if you remember this story where Jacob is sent his family on. He's had this thing with Esau. He sent his family on, and it's the middle of the night at Penel, and he ends up having this man come to him, and they, they fight all night. They wrestle all night. And it starts to get daybreak, and this man says to him, 
it's getting daybreak. You got to let me go. And he doesn't let go. And this guy does something to Jacob's hip. And, but, he, but Jacob doesn't let go. He keeps holding on and holding on. And he te- says to him, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me a blessing. And eventually this guy gives him a blessing. And it's only then that you learn that he's been wrestling all night with God. And he, his name goes from Jacob to Israel. And that he's the one who has had this encounter face-to-face with God. Or you think about, I think the classic example, I asked somebody yesterday, what example of scripture would you give for persistence? And they, they mentioned Job. And you think about Job. He goes through all of this stuff and all his friends are saying, you just need to you know, give it up, give it all up and more or less die. He never gives it up. He keeps going and going and going. And in the end, of course, the very final bit, we're, we're told how it all comes back around his way and he gets rewarded. But there are lots of passages like that, that we can just keep going. Or we might think about um, Luke 18 is another one of those gospel lessons, is the one where the widow goes to the judge who's not a God believer, basically not a God fearer, and she just keeps demanding justice, keeps demanding justice. And finally, this, this judge says, I'm not a God fearer, I'm not this, I'm not a good person, but I'm goodness me, I'm going to give her justice just to get rid of her because she's persistent. She doesn't let up. She just keeps going. There are lots of examples. I think we can think about for just a moment, I'm going to to come more pointed. When you get to the the book of Hebrews, you got this great chapter that's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, where it gives all these different examples of of people of faith. And then you get to the 12th chapter in the first verse, and, it, and the writer of Hebrews then gives this admonition. So, so then run the race with persistence. And so then run the race with persistence. Part of living out our faith is leaning into perseverance and persistence and keep moving. And all of salvation and our life in Christ is about grace. But it's clear that God prizes strong souls that, that will just keep leaning into it. Like, he's going to call out this woman as having a great faith. He's going to hold that up for all of us to read generations later about the way she is. And I know today, as you tune in and listen as we're here, that many of us are dealing with stuff where we need to be reminded about the role of persistence in living out our faith. There are people who have been on their knees praying and praying, and and who've heard silence the way this woman did initially. She didn't give up, and we don't need to give up. Part of our Christian call is to choose hope again and again, keep seeing the glass half full, to keep seeing God's hand through history and knowing that he's working now, to keep leaning into that. And when we go through times when we ask the question, why is this happening? persist in holding on to hope. When we keep praying for some kind of relief that we don't get, we keep persisting and leaning into hope the way she did. When we get to places where we don't get answers, I've got answers I don't have, but you keep leaning into it and persisting the way that she did. And the question is, will we be like her and be able to continue to say, Lord, help me? after you've gone through all the things that she did, will we continue to be able to do that? Will we be able to muster up all the faith that we have to keep walking on with 
with God the next minute, the next hour, the next day, just to keep walking. And further than that, can we lean into it enough to continue to be vessels that God can use to bless others, even as we go through our own trials and persist in that way? We have a God of hope. We have a God that we can trust. Will we lean into this call to run the race with perseverance? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that we have worth before we ever draw our first breath. Help us to remember who we are in you as your children. Help us to cling to hope that you bring, that all things are made right in time. The hope that you bring as we have God moments, as you use each of us by your spirit to minister to one another. The hope that you bring as you call us together as a community to impact our world. We ask that you bless each of us on our journeys, that we may be marked by persistence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.